But we will wrap up Psalm 46 here as I read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been around here for any any amount of time and heard me talk about our philosophy of ministry, uh, hopefully you have been privileged enough to sit through my PowerPoint presentation, in which I do clearly and in expert ways spell out what that philosophy of ministry is, and have, in sitting through that riveting uh, presentation, you have witnessed the famous tree diagram um, that has come about from it. And the point of that is that, you know, the tree is the church, you know, surprise. Um, And we want to always be watering the roots of the tree so that the church grows from the inside out. And we have this organic growth and this fruit bearing occurs. And, and, and like, that's, that's it. That's the picture. That's the parable of, of it. Uh, But there's another tree parable that's very similar and you might have heard of it, uh, but it's that of the bamboo tree, the Chinese bamboo tree. And, and when you plant a, a new bamboo uh, seed and you, you put it in good soil and you water it and you take care of it and uh, for, for, it takes like all of the same kind of nurturing that any other tree takes uh, and the watering and the soil and, and one year goes by and two years goes by and you might see a little bit of growth, something a little bit sort of sticking up above, above the, the top of the soil, but you keep watering and you keep nurturing and then three years goes by and four years goes by and what you've got left at that point is maybe a, a tiny shoot sticking up above the ground and up to five years of, of watering and nurturing and feeding and care, and all you have to show for it is this short little bamboo shoot. And it makes you kind of want to say, oh, shoot, you know. <laughs> but after about five years, all of a sudden that thing explodes. It goes up 80 feet in about six weeks. And this growth that happens in this bamboo tree is just phenomenal and amazing and outrageous. Well, 
what's happening? Like, there's not nothing happening for those first five years, right? What's happening below the soil as you nurture and, and water and take care of it? And well, the foundation's being grown. Uh, the, the roots are growing deep, roots that are going to stabilize and feed this tree and, and, and be strong enough to push nutrients all the way up to the top of these 80-foot tall uh, trees. Well, all that we've been talking about these last few weeks from Psalm 46, all that we've been talking about uh, in terms of God's powerful protection and his, his stabilizing peace and God's presence with his people and, and his conquering might. Like, all of that from Psalm 46 is an expression of this one thing that's like this root system of this bamboo tree that's giving stability and, and nourishment and fueling growth and health. And I think that one thing is God's character. Like who God is. And then the gracious love that comes as a result of his character. And, and it's thankful, thanksgiving, right? And so if we can kind of boil down one thing that we can be thankful for, that's sort of like the root thing of all the other things that God has given to us, where all of his provision and care and love and protection and, and comfort comes from, that one root thing is his character. Who God is, and the more we really experience it and know about it, the more we're able to respond to everything that goes on in life with gratitude. We can respond in gratitude for all things because we know that all things in life come and are rooted in God's good character. This, this, this powerful, omnipotent being who is working for our good so that even the hard things, even the, the sad things and the gut-wrenching things can be said to be good. Gratitude comes from understanding, comes from our understanding of who God is and his gracious love for his people. The Lord of hosts loves his weak people. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. So let's give thanks. Let's give thanks because, because the Lord of hosts is our God. Let's give thanks because the Lord of hosts is our constant. And let's give thanks because the Lord of hosts is all we need. First of all, the Lord of hosts is our God. Really, really only going to be looking at two verses this morning, and really only one because the two verses we're looking at are identical. We're really going to be looking at verses 7 and 11, which make up the, the, the part of the song that you're always humming, right? It's, it's the chorus. It's the earworm that you wake up at 3 a.m. and you can't shut off um, in your head, right? And so the, the Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress, 
the Lord of hosts, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I mean, literally in the, in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh, who, which is the covenant name for God, Yahweh Sabaoth, like the Lord of heaven's armies is the title. Uh, and so it's interesting that this is, this, this title of Sabaoth, the, the Lord of heaven's armies is, is set right alongside the covenant name for God, Yahweh. It, he is the Lord of all the heavenly armies and powers, and he's in relationship with his people. Yahweh is a term of relationship, of covenant, of, of, of obligation and love for his people. He is the Lord of all the heavenly armies and the Lord of all the powers of the universe, and he is in covenant with us. So that's the first thing I want us to know about and give thanks for. The other thing is that he is the God of Jacob. What, so why do you think it says the God of Jacob? Like, why Jacob? <laughs> There's lots of other patriarchs. I mean, Abraham and Isaac and, you know, David. Like, you could name a bunch of other biblical figures. But why Jacob? Well, because Jacob was kind of a, uh, he was a mess. <laughs> Oftentimes in the Bible, when someone wants to, to illustrate the unlikelihood of God's people, they point to Jacob. He is often held up as the least likely of Israel's patriarchs. First of all, if you remember Jacob, he, Jacob and Esau, he was a twin. He, he was the second born. He came out grasping Esau's heel and like, and, and Jacob is kind of a deceiver. And so even though Esau was the one, the firstborn, he was to inherit and the most likely to, to receive the blessing of his father, Isaac. Like Jacob manipulates Esau out of his inheritance for this, this bowl of lentils. And then, then he deceives and tricks his father, Isaac, into giving him Esau's blessing. And, and is all this, he just sort of has this history of manipulation and deception and so much so that when Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, wanted to illustrate the idea that it was God's sovereign choice uh, to elect his people and that that sovereign choice was not based on anything good that we have done, Jacob is the guy that he goes to to illustrate that, right? Because Jacob is the most unlikely of God's people. He's the example of the misfit that doesn't belong, that messes things up, uh, that, that deceives. And Paul says, that's you and me. <laughs> that's who God's people are. We're broken. We're flawed. We're sinful. We're deceptive. We try to deceive God. We try to deceive ourselves. We try to deceive others around us. That's us. We're the people of Jacob. But we're also the people of God. The Lord of all the heavenly armies is bound in covenant to us. The sinful, broken, messed up, misfit people. He's bound in faithful covenant relationship to his Jacob people. What do we do with this? How do, we, how do we give thanks to God for this? Let me just kind of paint one 
potential picture for you that, that when you're sitting on your couch and you're having your quiet time or wherever it is that you have your quiet time, if it's on your couch or in your, your comfy chair or, or even just propped up in bed at night, wherever it is or however it is that you have those quiet moments alone or semi-alone if you have kids and semi-quiet for that matter, um, take 30 seconds, just 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and reflect and ask yourself the question, what kind of God is this? What kind of God would love a people like me? That would love you and me? Like, don't, you know, don't question that he does. He does. And just try to, as best you can, accept that he does. But then ask the question, what is it in his character that makes that true? And then take another 30 seconds and whatever answer you come up with about God's character and about what propels him to love a people like us, thank him for that. Just say, thank you. Thank you for being patient and loving me. Thank you for being faithful even when I am not. And like no requests, not even, not even repentance. I mean, you know, do that others, do that also, but like take this minute to do this. Maybe recite or read a verse from Psalm 46. Okay. Give thanks because the Lord of hosts is our constant. He's not only our God, but he's our constant. We've, we've talked about how God is our stabilizer in times of trouble, that his constancy and his steadfastness and his faithfulness is our refuge and strength through the chaos of, of trials. And even when the earth itself seems to, to give way and to be unstable, Psalm 46 says, God will not be moved. It's his immutability, his unchanging nature is also our refuge and our strength. I mean, back to this idea of him being the God of Jacob, like this was Israel's testimony. (laughs) This is Israel's history that's being appealed to here, Uh, that there is a legacy here based on God's character. And that legacy is constant because God is constant. It's unchanging because the God who loves us in his character is unchanging. He hasn't changed since Jacob or Isaac or Abraham for that matter. And we can, we can sing this song today with as much confidence as they could in the days in which Psalm 46 was itself a contemporary Christian song, right? Or it wouldn't have been a Christian song, but like a contemporary worship song. The God of Jacob is your God. The God who wrote the history of redemption from the garden to glory is your God. He's the God of his covenant people. And his covenant people, his church, is his nation on earth. It's, it's no longer bordered by geography or, or ethnicity, but, but things like that can't define the work of the Lord among his people because he is constant in his salvation and in his redemptive work. And so 
as we get worried about things, as we get anxious about things, as we, as we come into times of trial, no matter how big or how small, and even, even those things that, that kind of embarrass us that we're so worried about because they, just, they feel so big to us, but perhaps to other people they seem insignificant, but sometimes we just can't help what worries us, can we? I mean, sometimes it just happens. We know it's silly, but, but still... In those times, whatever it is, give thanks to God for that constancy, that immutability, the stability that comes from knowing that he is our fortress. Thank him for it. It probably won't make your worry magically disappear, but it reminds us, and we need to preach to ourselves the truth of God's ever-present faithfulness. That really is bigger than whatever it is that worries us. But then also know that his love is constant. His forgiveness is constant. His offer of grace is constant. That you can't destabilize God's grace with your sinning. (laughs) You can't sin so much and so badly that God cannot and will not forgive you if you turn to him and repent. Remember that he is there always. Even when you feel that you've run far from him, his constancy says that he is always with us, ever present, ready to receive the repentance and to dish out again the grace that we need when our brokenness overwhelms us. Give thanks to God for that. Give thanks to God because the Lord of hosts is all we need. God's love and, and is our, our protection is our, our defense and our offense. The refrain comes after the first stanza of the psalm in which it's a very defensive stanza. He's our fortress. It depicts God as this unassailable refuge and fortress of his people, this mighty city that contains all these rivers of gladness and provision and protection for his people in the middle of this whirling, swirling, raging chaos. You could just picture this huge castle walls being buffeted by the waves that just break against them over and over again. That's the first stanza. And then comes this, the God of Jacob is our fortress refrain. And then again, it comes after the second stanza in which there's an offensive uh, tone to it in which, in which the peace has been won by the Lord of armies and enemies have been subdued and wars have ceased and weapons have been destroyed and taken off the battlefield. And, and we kind of remind it, it reminds me of Matthew 16 when Jesus famously says of his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against her, right? And we often think of that as in the church as being in this defensive posture as Jesus says that. But really, gates are in a defensive position and it's like the church itself is assailing the gates of hell and Jesus says, you're gonna win the victory. And it's the character of God is what perfectly authors and plans and executes this plan of salvation that is ours, that he is all that we need. He protects his people, 
But then he gives us this great victory that he won for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus tells the parable of a rich man in Luke 12 who who one year planted his crop and had a bumper crop and he brought in all the harvest and as he was bringing in the harvest it was it was so much his old barns couldn't hold all of the produce that came out of his field and so he makes these plans to tear down his old barns and build these new barns to hold all of the bounty that he has been provided with and then then he kind of starts talking to himself and we get we get to hear his inner monologue as he's talking to himself in Luke 12:19 The man says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God, of course, who also hears all the inner monologues, responds. And God says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, what do you think the point of that was? (laughs) Uh, now, go be thankful or God will kill you in your sleep. I, no. Who's the man addressing? The man addresses his own soul. He's addressing himself about, about where and how he can find rest for his soul. And he finds that rest in his wealth. And in his explanation of the parable, Jesus says this, So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Being rich towards God means that that when the earth gives way, when those things in which we are most tempted to find rest for our souls in are gone, that we still have rest. That we still have God as our God and his constancy as our stability and his, he is all that we need. We still find rest in the safety and loving kindness of our covenant God that, that we know that there are riches of grace for those who are dependent on him. That not even all the wealth we could imagine can surpass the richness of God's mercy and grace that's what we're celebrating this morning i mean that that feast is going to be great but this one the one we participate in every week this is the feast of grace as we come to this table we come to the table set by the one who who loves his people such that he he gives his own life for our life Becoming rich towards God starts by recognizing our poverty without him. Recognizing our need, the poverty of our sinfulness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's be thankful. Let's celebrate the character of God that makes that true this morning. As we come to the Lord's table, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your rich grace 
and mercy to your people. We thank you for setting before us again the Lord Jesus through your word. We thank you for your spirit's conviction and reminder that we are poor, we are broken, we are needy, we do need a Savior, we do need what the Lord Jesus has provided in his broken body and shed blood. And as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you would help us to come as those who recognize our need, recognize our dependence. And if there are those among us this morning who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior, that that your Spirit would move in their hearts to convict them of their sin and, and show them the beauty of the risen Lord who gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed as an atonement for our sins. As we come this morning, we pray that you would be glorified in us as we throw ourselves again at the mercy of the cross, but at the same time celebrate because we've been made alive together with Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.